0: Okay. So for those of you who've been listening to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, you know that I'm going to take some time off from developing new content. That doesn't mean I'm taking a vacation per se, but it does mean that Steve and I are going to be spending a month in San Miguel, Mexico. And see, Steve has always wanted to learn a language. I suck at languages even the English language, Um, but we're going to stretch ourselves and take this as immersive class while there for a month. So I might be able to say like, hello, how are you? Goodbye. Where's the bathroom? I'll take a margarita. (laughs) During that time there, while I'm learning Spanish, I'm also going to be developing a training course for those who want to teach others to preach, because I don't know if you know this, but I train women to preach through this class called She Can Teach Training. And so I'm going to be working on that, and then I'm going to be working on this day um, where you can have me come in with a group of your friends and have conversations with you about the stuff that we've been talking about on this podcast. And I've always wanted to do this, kind of have small groups, but a, a woman from Dallas recently called me and said, hey, in September, can you come up and hang out with a group of my friends for the day, and can we talk about deconstruction and patriarchy and how that has impacted us women. And what does the scripture say about homosexuality and just a lot of stuff that we've been covering in the podcast. She wanted a more intimate time. And I said, sure, let's do this. And I thought, oh, this would be so fun to do all over the country. So yeah, I'm putting that together. If you're interested in having me come and hang out with a group of your friends, let me know. You can email me at Jackie at the Marcella project. So yeah, that'll be really fun. And then I'm also going to be prepping for my first class at Northern Seminary. Yes, I've enrolled in another seminary. I'm going to be getting an MA in Women's Studies, Lord willing. And I suspect you'll be hearing a whole lot more about what I'm learning there. And yes, I am also going to play. I have my pickleball stuff packed, and I have already scouted out all the best places to have drinks um, on rooftops, and where to go for beautiful walks and sights to see, and I will absolutely be eating a lot of pizza at the Rufino's Pizza Place. Now, that won't mean much for many of you, but those of you who are from my hometown, you know what I'm talking about. Because Joe Ruffino moved to San Miguel, and he opened up a pizza place called The Pizza Guy, and I will be going there and stuffing my face with a whole lot of pizza. So that is very, very exciting to me. Okay, so (laughs) in all of that, I've decided to repurpose a few podcasts, and I went through and kind of picked out some that I thought were really important for us to revisit. And the first two are going to be about faith. Because as I have shared before, I, um, I have shifted in my older years. My thinking, my beliefs, some of my actions have shifted. Some of the things that I used to embrace, I no longer do. And I know that that is true for many of you too. And I also know that shifting can feel very unsettling. It can be scary. It actually starts to isolate you from your people group that you've hung out with for so long. I know that. And so I thought it would be good to go back and revisit what is faith? What is actually wrinkled faith? That means faith that has aged, that's been bumped around a little bit. And in there, I hope that both you and I will feel more assured that not only is it normal to shift, but it's also biblical. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged Podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting Scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. I get why we buy into escalator theology. Many of us who are listening to this have been raised in churches where there was a whole lot of behavioral modification, you know, where you do these eight steps, apply these five biblical principles. And when we're younger, we just love these lists and formulas because we don't have a clue how to do this thing called life. So developing these healthy habits in the beginning are very helpful. It's a way we order our faith. But... The problem with escalator theology is this subtle notion that lies underneath. It's it's, it's something that actually can be hazardous, this idea that if we do these eight things and follow through with these five principles, then all will go well for me in my career, marriage, sex life, raising my kids. But as life goes on, we find out that's not necessarily true. And we're left wondering, did we do something wrong? we start to feel cheated, don't we? And it can create disillusionment with our faith. I suspect we've all been there, or we will be, sooner or later. So today I want to tackle some escalator theology. Basically, I want us to throw it out the window. And to do that, I want to take us back to some really familiar Bible stories, things you've heard over and over again. But this time, I want us to slow our roll and really see what an authentic faith journey of Jesus looks like. To do that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the root word for faith is basically the same root word as uh, the word for amen. You know the thing we say when we get ready to eat? We pray and say amen, right? Do you know that amen means basically, hey, I'm done talking, Lord. I've said my piece. I've, I've, I've said it I've said it and said it, and now I'm putting it into your hands, and I'm trusting you, regardless of the outcome. In the previous episode of this series, I shared how when I graduated from seminary, I had a set of beliefs, hills I would die on, Jesus plus baptism, and Jesus plus what roles women can and can't do, Jesus plus whether you should read Harry Potter or not. These set of beliefs, beliefs are what we hold on to. What we're going to learn today is faith, faith is letting go of the first time we see the word faith used in scripture is Genesis 15 but I got to back us up to when that story actually starts and it starts in Genesis 12 it's the story about when God came to Abraham and said hey I'd like you to leave home and everything you know and Abraham says okay i um, where am I going and God says oh well, don't worry about that we'll get to that just go And in that conversation, God promises Abraham a blessing, a kid, and the land. Now, I know, I know, you're about to hit stop and move on to another podcast. But hold on. Let's slow the roll. And as I describe their faith journey, try to imagine what a faith journey looks like. Try to imagine what was left and lost, like friends and family and the comfort of home, stability the tribal celebrations, music, idioms that require no explanation. What you need to know is Abraham and his wife Sarah lived in a very wealthy community, a city called Ur. Archaeologists have discovered and done digs on it, and it's a really wealthy place. So wherever you're from, try to imagine the wealthiest neighborhood near you. What do the houses look like? How big are they? What kind of shops surround that? what kind of cars do people drive where do their kids go to school do you got that image good now you've got it abraham had flocks he's rich and judges 24 tells us that he also worshiped many gods so it's kind of interesting that he listened to this one he leaves ur and he travels by foot because remember there are no cars 600 miles to haran 600 miles and they live in a tent and then they pack up again, and they move again, about 400 miles to Shechem, and they live in a tent. And then they move a short distance from there, farther south to Negev, which is really, I mean, a desert. I've been there. It's a pile of brown rocks and dust. Nothing green growing there, ladies. Again, let me remind you, this is a picture of a faith journey. And think about the risk they had to take, the fear of the unknown feeling threatened by animals or other people they come in contact with, or the inability to communicate with others you come into contact with, unfamiliar with customs and rituals. And I'm thinking, surely there were words between Sarah and Abraham about how stupid this is. In Genesis 12, we find out that they encountered a famine. No kidding, they're living in a desert. They pack up and they move to Egypt Twenty. 250 miles away and they live as refugees and then after a while they pack up again and they travel another 250 miles back up to the desert. Now I think about this journey there's a whole lot of energy and movement and surely by now Sarah is longing for the familiar smell of a particular plant that she grew back home or her favorite food. I mean, you know how it is when you've been away from home for a while. You can't wait to get back. The first thing I eat, pizza. Pizza. It's my favorite. This is their faith journey. How does that measure up to an escalator theology? And what about that underlining notion that if you do everything right, you follow Jesus in all the right ways, everything's going to go well for you? Because it's been decades since God first arrived and said to Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you a blessing and a kid and land. And it's not happened. It's been decades. I wonder if that's part of what a real faith journey looks like. Long times of silence and waiting. And that's when Abraham, we meet again in Genesis 15, when, he bring, when we see for the first time the word faith. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid, Abram, For I will protect you, for your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? It'll it'll be my servant that ends up inheriting everything. And God says, no, it's not going to be your son. Go look at the stars in the sky. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him righteous because of his faith. And there it is, the first time we see it in Scripture. There it is, believe, faith. Trust, interesting, that God could and would do what he said he would do. Now, here's the thing. God does come through, sort of. I mean, he gets a kid. He gets a kid called Isaac. So there's some proof that God could and would do what he said. But there ain't any land. Abraham doesn't possess the land until he's buried in it. A cave at his death. Not quite what I think of as fulfilling a promise. I think this is how our faith journey looks. There are these small glimpses, proofs, that God has, is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do, but we don't get to see it all at once, and sometimes we don't get to see the fulfillment of it at all. And I'm not sure that I was told that. It talks about this in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. In verses 1 through 13, let me just read a couple of the verses for you. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. Down in verse 8, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed what God called him to do leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was a foreigner living in tents. Verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promises. And then down to verse 13, all these people died, still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They did not see it all, but they saw enough, right? There was a proof, a kid, a sign to trust, and also a sign to say, let go. Let go of the way you think it's going to look. Trust me even when you can't see it. You know, it's interesting, this pandemic has revealed how much of an illusion of control we really have had. We've been unveiled, right? This this illusion of control. Um, And I'm wondering if now, unlike any other time, We need to look back at a time in our life where God proved he is who he said he is and will do what he said he's going to do. Proof, a kid, so to speak, in our life. And do we need to hold on to that kid, so to speak, to help us right now in the middle of this? Let go of the way you think it's going to look. See, I'm learning in my older years that faith is a really hard word. And I don't think I was ever really told that. There is so much to talk about about the faith journeys that we see in the scriptures. And we do not have time to cover that in an episode. But if you want to dig deeper into this concept, go on over to the Marcellaproject.com and register for our online Bible study, Faith, Hope, Love and Lament. We've got scriptural readings there, questions to noodle on, more teaching And you'll find women engaging and sharing insights on our private Facebook page. But I want to share with you one other thing I learned in my Escalator Theology class. And that is that as we move along in life, we can make either right or wrong choices, good or bad. Now, I'm not so sure that it's that simple, which takes me back to Abraham and Sarah and we see this story in Genesis 12 where Abraham and Sarah went down to Egypt, right, as refugees. And it's there that Abraham becomes afraid that Pharaoh is going to kill him so that he can have Sarah in his harem. And he's probably right. And so he asks Sarah to go, and she does. And years back when I was younger and I read those, that story, I have to tell you, I used to think to myself, what a schmuck. I mean, sure, he just passes over his wife and he's going to benefit from it. What a schmuck. But, you know, as I've moved along, I've learned that's really a a privileged response, isn't it? I've had um, the ability to travel to some developing countries and work with women, and I've learned that not everybody has agency to make choices, and also that not every situation's choice comes down to right or wrong or good or bad. Sometimes we humans are forced to make decisions we weren't made to make. Sometimes the choice actually comes down, isn't about right or wrong or good or bad, it actually is about shit or shittier. And I learned this when I went to Rwanda right after the genocide, and I sat with a woman who told me she had to decide. She had to decide which child to hide. Which child would she hide so that someone from the family lived? And when I went to Uganda and I heard from this man who had daughters how he couldn't afford to send them to school, which was basically subjecting them to a life of poverty. And an older man came to him and said that he would pay for his daughters to go to school so long as he could have sex with them. See, sometimes the decisions are not right or wrong, good or bad. Sometimes they are shit or shittier. My daughter Madison had worked down on the border of Mexico and Guatemala last year. And story after story, people are having to make decisions that are not right or wrong or good or bad. And when I share that, I know that most of us listening to this podcast haven't had to make those kinds of choices. But in some ways, we've had to make hard choices where there wasn't a right or wrong answer. Like pulling the plug on an aging parent. Whether to abort a deformed fetus. Whether to allow our mentally ill child to continue to live with us as they continue to blow up our family. Do I make the call on our marriage? Right now we're watching the government have to make a decision. Do we close down the, the economy? Do we start it back up? Doctors are having to make choices about who gets the ventilators. Choices aren't always clear. And from my white American 21st century privileged position, somehow I had been taught they were. Yes, no, right, wrong, good, bad. What's fascinating to me about Abraham and Sarah's story is we'd expect to see God chastise Abraham, right, for like having such little faith. But it's not in there. God doesn't do it. And he doesn't seem to be upset with Sarah, offering herself over to another man. Like, I don't know how that preaches. And in fact, in 1 Peter 3, we read where Sarah is called a woman of faith because, quote-unquote, she did what was right without fear. She did what was right without fear. And when I read that, I have to go over all of the scriptures about Sarah's life story, and I say, okay, when would she have been fearful? Well, most likely when she left Ur, but more so, probably mostly, when she was in Pharaoh's court, a sex slave. And God doesn't say anything about that. In fact, in this story, the only one that gets a butt kicking is Pharaoh, the man with the power who used his power to harm the vulnerable. And the point I'm trying to make is some of us have had to make decisions that we should have never had to make. And as followers of Jesus, what happens is we walk around carrying shame about that, with blame, We even think God's disappointed. But what if he's not? What if he gets it? What if he isn't chastising us, but rather is extending mercy and grace, love, and kindness to us? What if, in fact, dare I say it, what if he's marveling at our faithfulness? Even when it's the faith of a mustard seed, even when it's in the midst of the doubt, what if he's marveling over us. I used to think that faith was like a one-way thing. I have faith in God. But I'm beginning to think it's a two-way street. That potentially, it's possible that God has faith in us. Think about it. He left 12 uneducated teens with the responsibility to live and love like Jesus. 12 undeveloped frontal lobed teenage kids. They were the ones to bring forth beauty and justice and goodness in ways that brought flourishing to all of creation. I call that trust. What if God trusts us with continuing on on his behalf in the middle of all the messiness? I don't think I learned that in my escalator theology. You know, in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, it says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to praise us That's what it says. Praise us for our faithfulness. What if Jesus is actually marveling that in spite of all the brokenness in us and around us, that on this thing we call a faith journey, that looks sideways and sometimes circling, sitting, falling, getting back up, forward, backwards again, journey, he's actually cheering us on and saying, keep going. What if instead of being displeased with how it's looked, He's just freaking proud of us. Perhaps Jesus has more faith in us than we do in him. Let's just noodle on that. Jesus has faith in you. Jesus has faith in me. And that's why I'm saying it's time to throw out our escalator theology. Hey, before we close out, I I wanted to address a question that I keep getting asked, whether that's on social media, online, Facebook, through my email. People like Christy have asked me from Texas, Bethany from Indiana, and others of you. And the question is basically, what do you do when you've shifted and your friends, particularly your Christian friends and family, haven't? How do you navigate those relationships? That's a great question. And I want you to know, I don't have all the answers, but I do have a couple tools that I apply. And I wanted to share with you a few of them. One is, I always ask the question, do they have ears to hear? Jesus said that often in the New Testament. He said, do they have ears to hear? For those who have ears to hear, Now, everybody that stood before Jesus when he said that actually had literal ears, but he seems to be implying that everybody can receive what they hear. And so I'm always asking, do they have ears to hear? The second thing I ask myself is how much do they need to know? How much do they need to hear? We don't want to blow people up, explode people, right? The truth is, many of us, we've been studying and reading and praying and talking to Jesus about these things, and we're way over here. But our friends and our family, they haven't been doing that. And so they're way over on the other side. And so I always ask myself, what's the kindest way to move them a little bit forward, and let me give you an example of how this played out in my life. I was asked to preach at this church. They were trying to figure out what they thought about the role of women, and they invited me in as their first preacher to ever, as a first female preacher in their church. And I was at their church, and I met with the senior pastor. We were talking about where he's at in all of this and how he's come to this position and that position and what he's working through. I asked him, so who are you reading on this subject and he gave me a list, and they were all pretty much white male complementarians. And I thought, okay, he's not reading a, a broad scope here. But I didn't say a word. I just continued to ask questions. And I went home and I prayed, Lord, if you want um, him to know other people to read, would you let him ask me? Just let him ask me. And a week later, he did. What books would you recommend, Jackie? And so I gave him some. Now, here's what's interesting. There was a woman at this church who was a a leader, and she had already done all the reading and all the research for years and years and years, and she's way over on one side. And when she asked me, what books did you give him to read? And I told her she was upset with me. She was like, well, you should have given him this book and this book. He really needs to read those books. And I'm like, yes, yes. Yes, he does need to read those books someday, but I had to assess where he was at and how to shift him slowly, incrementally, right? Because we don't want to blow people up. They can't move from here to here, way over here in an instant. It just doesn't happen that way. So I ask, how much do they need to hear? I ask them questions, right? Jesus asked people a lot of questions. Do you know why he did that? Because asking questions helps people to like step back and really think about why they're saying what they're saying. It helps them to go deeper and broader in their thinking. And so instead of being informative, a lot of times I'll just say, well, what do you think about? And I just throw a little seed out there for them to to think about, germinate on, you know? so ask questions fourthly not everyone's gonna shift and i'm okay with that i don't i would love for everybody to be on my side of everything that i think but that's that's not gonna happen that's not realistic and i don't really need for every single person to get there i have this acceptance that everybody's not gonna see life my way and i can live with that i i have had um some some relationships that had to be severed, and that was really hard. And actually, I didn't choose to sever them. My friends did, and that's because when I became a female preacher, they just couldn't get behind that. And so, unfortunately, that that ended the friendship. It didn't end badly. We still love each other deeply, but we just knew we weren't going to be as close anymore. We weren't going to be able to have a lot of conversations because a lot of our life was wrapped around Jesus and faith and how you live that out. And we were no longer on the same page. And I got to tell you, that's painful. And I know for some of you, you've experienced that. You've shared that with me. You no longer can be in a community where they sit at this position on homosexuality, right? And you've, you've had to leave church because of it. That's painful. That's also part of our reality. So like I said, I don't have all the answers how to navigate this. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, but I hope some of these tools were helpful. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about having wrinkled hope. I look forward to being with you then. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.